church? Hell no. Are you no longer feeling comfortable in church? This podcast is for individuals who are desperately missing God, but don't know how to find Him. Substance abuse, domestic violence, sex offenses, acrimonious divorce can contribute to discomfort in the church. For these individuals, church is just not an option anymore. Ordained minister Dennis Hall and his guests invite you to listen to this podcast for topics that are inspiring, uplifting, and will bring hope to those who just feel church is not relevant in their lives today. I'm Dr. Dennis Hall, and I am delighted that you're listening to our podcast today. We have a world filled with all kinds of things going on. We have the war against Israel, uh, thousands of people being killed and injured and lives changed. We have the war in Ukraine where similar things are happening, uh, where people are at war and, and lives impacted. And even here on our southern border in the United States, with all the human trafficking and uh, the uh, carnage that occurs on, with people trying to cross the U.S. border, uh, all of this is impacting lives in dramatic kinds of ways. And I know there are places all over the world where similar things are are, are happening. And, you know, it's, uh, it's just amazing. It, it really causes people to reflect on their particular life and what's going on in their life. You know, I love to... Uh, encounter uh, new Christians, especially those who've decided to follow Jesus in adulthood. Now, just because they've accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior doesn't mean that they're not troubled by some of life's uh, deepest uh, questions and concerns. Uh, last weekend, I was traveling, and I had the pleasure uh, of meeting a man in his 40s who's a relatively new Christian, and he shared with me some of the questions on his mind. And one of his questions had to do with why God created people, and him specifically. You know, it's uh, uh, there are many people in this world who seem to be confused and even discouraged about uh, the purpose of their life. Now, if you're listening to this podcast today and you do not believe in God, or you consider yourself an agnostic, meaning basically that you don't know what to believe, then you may just think the uh, creation of your life is just a series of uh, serendipitous happen chance. Um, You know, I realize that uh, public schools have taught young children about the theory of evolution without even entertaining the possibility of divine creation. You know, most people have never really even seriously questioned the flawed assumptions about evolution. And uh, uh, the truth of the matter is today, more and more leading scientists uh, those who are on the edge of uh, uh, DNA discovery and the the uh, astrophysicists studying the expanding universe and the black holes and and the new information that we're getting through some of our uh, newest technology, many of these scientists today have come to the conclusion that there must be 
a intelligent designer of all of this. In other words, God exists, uh, and he's the creator. And it seems that all of our scientific studies are proving this and demonstrating it. So back to the question, why did God create people? You know, some people have said, uh, well, after creating our world and the animal life, God found himself lonely, so he created man. You know, this is a sort of a tender and uh, I might say heartwarming sentiment, but it's simply not true. You know, God is independent of mankind. He doesn't need the rest of creation for anything. The Scripture confirms this in Acts 17, 24, and 25, where it reads that God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not need to live in temples made by human hands, and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. So the grand and glorious question, why did God create us? This question touches the biggest issues of our lives that we can ever ask about. You know, questions is, an, is very important because the way you answer this question is going to have a big impact on how you understand the nature of God himself. Are we really asking, what does it mean to be God? In seminaries and divinity schools, God's theity, meaning his existence from himself, uh, that is meaning he exists without influence or input or resources or forces or anything outside himself. This topic is often dis uh, discussed. You know, the way to say God's aseity in everyday language is to say God's self-sufficiency. This is important because the biblical picture of God is that he is complete and sufficient and flawless without any defect or deficiency in and of himself. That means that before there was any creation, apart from any creation, and independent of any creation, God was complete and flawless. You know, uh, you probably remember in Exodus 3.14 where Moses asked God, what should he say to the people of Israel when they ask him, who sent you? And God says to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent you, sent me to you. And in other words, God's name, Yahweh, which is built on the, on the, um, on the word the verb, I am, occurs over 6,000 times in Scripture, in the Bible. Every time you read that name in the Bible, it's usually trans, uh, translated into English with the capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Lord. 
Now that name bears witness to the absolute existence of God in and of himself. That means if you're God, you're saying, I am. I depend on nothing, nobody to be who I am. I'm absolute reality. I had no beginning. I have no ending. And in relation to creation, I am not becoming what I am. Have you ever met an artist or a, um, you know, who creates a new painting on a regular basis? Not necessarily to sell, but just because they enjoy creating art. You know, in the motorcycling, uh, motorcycling world, which I'm very involved in, I have met men who create custom motorcycles just for the satisfaction of, an, of achieving a remarkable machine. You know, it occurs to me that one of the reasons that God created us is because it pleased him to do so. It pleased him to do so. Colossians 1.16 tells us, All things were created by him and for him. Being created for God's pleasure doesn't mean humanity was made to entertain God and provide him with some sort of amusement. God is simply a creative being, and it gives him pleasure to create. In Genesis 1.27, we're told, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. We're told that God created Adam from the dust of the ground by breathing life into him. We were given physical bodies, but the Lord also gave us a spirit and a soul. You know, uh, it's the same way God exists. It's the same way God exists. That's the image of God in us. You know, pro-life advocates often quote Psalm 139, 13, and 14, which says, For you created my innermost being, knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Yes, God knits us together in our mother's wombs, and he gives us something that no other species on the planet has, and that is spirit and the soul. And I might add that our capacity to love, to love in a way God loves, is also something that's very unique to mankind. You know, this image of God, this spirit inside us, is, is it, it gives us the ability to have a relationship with the Father and the Son and, and the Holy Spirit. You know, God meant for Adam to live forever without sickness or blemish and in perfect communion, uh, communion with him in the garden. But as we know, Adam and Eve rejected God's commands and thrust mankind into cycles of sin 
and uh, fortunately, God's grace. You know, it's the image of God within us that makes it possible to glorify God. It's a huge part of the reason that God created each one of us. Now, you may say, wait a minute, wait a minute here. You said God doesn't need us. Yes. Uh, why would he create us to praise him then? Well, it does seem a little selfish and self-serving, but really, think about this. First of all, we worship God because he deserves our praise. He created us out of nothing, gave us purpose, and loves us without limit. So what, what are we saying here? Well, in contemporary language, we're saying we're giving credit where credit is due. That's why we worship God. And secondly, we worship, glorify, and praise God as an act of love. We can't help ourselves but do this. You know, 1 Corinthians uh, 10.31 says to us, So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Now, my alarm clock... <laughs> Each morning is my dog who sleeps in a crate very near my bed. He moans and whines and groans, letting me know that it's time for his morning walk. Now, you may have a traditional alarm clock that rings or chimes, letting you know that it's time to get up. The question is, what are you getting up for? What are you getting up for? Oh, you may have a job to get to or an appointment or an activity that you want to participate in or you may need to take the children to school or maybe you even have an early morning pickleball game. But these secular activities, they're not your purpose for the day. They are not your purpose for the day. You know, all people, all of us, we have a common purpose, which is to bring glory to God. Well, the Scripture shows us numerous ways to do this. In our daily activities, we should worship God. You know, what, is, what does the Scripture say? Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. Psalms 95, 6. Each morning during my dog walk, I spend time worshiping and praying. And, uh, you know, I know someone who places sticky notes throughout their house, on the mirrors, in, in their workshop, other places, simply to remind them to simply take a moment, just take a moment to worship and pray. You know, there are many ways to do this, and it's, uh, it's part of the reason that God created us. It's part of the reason that God created us. Now, you know, we also glorify God by obeying his commandments. Well, in Ecclesiastes 12, 13, it reads, Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. 
So we're told over and over again, you know, and perhaps the greatest way to glorify God is showing his love to others. I have a T-shirt that I sometimes wear that's emblazoned with the scripture from Micah 6, 8, which says, what does God ask of us? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. You know, it amazes me when I wear this T-shirt, how many people comment on it. Because it, I guess it sort of suggests to me that many Christians, many feel that Christians could do a better job of following that instruction and teaching. You know, perhaps all of us, all of us could be doing a better job of doing what the Messiah has asked us to do when he told us to love our neighbors as he loved us. And the Bible tells us we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Well, you know, if we're God's handiwork, why did God create man knowing man would sin? knowing that man would dishonor him by disobedience. So why did God place the forbidden tree in the garden to tempt man to sin? Surely God could have created the garden without the forbidden tree and its fruit. Why? Well, James 1.13 makes it very clear that God does not tempt us to sin when he wrote, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. God tempts no one. Further, the Bible teaches that God does not allow believers in Christ to be tempted beyond what they can bear. When the scripture reads, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man, he, God, is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with temptation, he will provide you a way of escape that you may be able to endure. 1 Corinthians ten thirteen. You know, the Bible does teach that God will test us. Um, James 1, 2, and 4 teaches... Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet the trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. In other words, God's testing is leading us to spiritual maturity. You know, we are, we are to consider the joy when we encounter difficulty in life. It's not temptation. It's the testing that offers opportunities to grow in our relationship with God. Well, since God doesn't tempt anyone to sin, the for. The forbidden tree was not a temptation, and, and it was not even a test. God placed that tree in the garden to give man a choice. 
Genesis 2, 16 and 17 reads, And the Lord commanded the man, saying, But of the tree of knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in that day that thou he does, thou shalt surely die. You know, God was overwhelmingly gracious to Adam and Eve by giving them abundant vegetation from which to eat. But God wanted man to love him by choice. God wanted man to love him by choice. So God created man, you and me, with a free will that gives us the opportunity to obey or disobey. So we have this free will. I consider it a gift from God. I can't imagine a, a life where mankind, uh, me, that I had no free will. Uh, you know, so if there was no choice, we'd simply be like puppets and robots. And, um, you know, the whole, the whole thing about love wouldn't even exist. We, we couldn't even experience love because we were programmed. That's not what any of us would want. You know, sadly, um, for Adam and Eve, by disobeying God's command and partaking the forbidden fruit, Adam chose to put himself and his desires above God. And in doing so, he dishonored his creator. At that moment, his love for God was replaced by lust and desire for which, uh, because of what God had forbidden. And we all know what happened. You know, Adam plunged the whole world into sin and uh, destruction and death. He's not... Adam was not like unlike us. We also sin. We also sin and um, reject those things which God has commanded. But even in our sin, God is magnified and glorified. In our sins and shortcomings, God devised a plan that involved the crucifixion of Jesus Christ to forgive our sins. And it's through the undeserved grace of God, His amazing and abundant mercy, that we can truly experience His love and be motivated to glorify Him. God created man knowing full well that He would sin. God had a purpose and a plan. And from the very beginning, from the very beginning, uh, he intended to magnify his great mercy by forgiving man's sin. He did this by sending Jesus to restore um, all in man's relationship with him. You know, God over and over again through this has demonstrated his unbounded, unconditional, unfailing love or his creation, a love that he offers to people at all times, a love that will forever magnify his name throughout all eternity. You know, the Bible teaches us that one day 
every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord of all. Now, let me just say to you, uh, when your alarm clock goes off tomorrow morning, you should know. You should know the purpose for which God made you and why you should get out of bed. We exist to see and savor and show the beauty and worth and greatness of God in every sphere of our lives. We exist to bring our lives into alignment with the purpose of God and His creation. You know, namely, that purpose is His overflowing, soul-satisfying love. Love. You know, throughout the Scripture, it teaches us over and over again that God is love. You know, sometimes uh, there are uh, epitaphs that are put on tombstones. What if your epitaph simply stated, he or she came, stayed a while, and left? Or maybe more could be added to your epitaph that would read, uh, he or she came, stayed a while, got married, worked at a job, raised a family, and left. For some, their epitaph might read, he became a success in his career and made a pile of money. You know, it would be my hope that some of us would have an epitaph that simply reads, he or she glorified God. He or she glorified God. Now, as we begin to wind down our uh, podcast, let me just remind you, God made us individually as males and females to reflect his image by being godly people. He made us to rule over his creation as responsible stewards of the earth, then to rule over Satan, the ruler of this fallen world, as we exercise the authority of Jesus Christ through prayer. And he made us to produce godly offspring, both in our families and in our church family. That's why God created people. That's why he created you, to know and grow and to be like God in whose image you were created, to reign with him and to be used by him and work with him in expanding his kingdom on earth. I'm just going to tell you, you'll be restless, confused, or lacking in fulfillment until you begin living in line with God's purpose for creating you. Thank you for listening to this podcast, and may you have a great day. God bless you.